Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Thursday the 3rd of October. Coming up, MP speaks out about domestic violence. Abuse isn't only about those noticeable physical signs. Sometimes there are no bruises. Abuse is very often all about control and power. More help needed for parents who lose a baby. I was diagnosed as having a high-risk pregnancy with my daughter Summer and I didn't really have anywhere to turn to. I looked for other charities online and other people that obviously could support me and there wasn't really anyone there. And gold for Dina Asher-Smith at the World Athletics Championships. When I crossed the line, I saw the time, I was like, good, but then when the camera focused on me, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I did it. Kent Online News. Canterbury MP Rosie Duffield has spoken out in Parliament about being the victim of domestic abuse. She shared her experience during a debate on a new law and received a standing ovation from her colleagues. This was her full speech in the House of Commons and the reaction to it. So what is domestic violence or abuse and where do we get our ideas about it from? Often we see the same images and stereotypes on TV. Housing estates, working class families, drunk men coming home from the pub, women surrounded by children and a sequence of shouting followed by immediate physical violence or assault. But the soap opera scenes only tend to focus on one one or two aspects of a much bigger and more complex picture. Domestic violence has many faces, and the faces of those who survive it are varied too. There are 650 MPs in this place, 650 human beings. We know that statistically it's highly likely that some of us here will have directly experienced an abusive relationship, and we are just as likely as anyone else to have grown up in a violent household. Abuse isn't only about those noticeable physical signs. Sometimes there are no bruises. Abuse is very often all about control and power. It's about making themselves feel big or biggest. But that's not how abusers present themselves. It's not how they win your heart. It's not how they persuade you to meet them for a coffee, then go to a gig, then spend an evening snuggled up in front of a movie at at their place. When they ask you out, they don't present their age and they don't tell you that they like the idea of strong, independent, successful women, but not the reality. They don't threaten, criticise, control, yell or exert their physical strength in increasingly frightening ways. Not yet. Not at the start. Not when they think you're sweet, funny and gorgeous. Not when they want to impress you. Not when they turn up to only your third date with chocolate, then jewellery. Not when they meet your friends, your parents, or the leader of your political party. They don't do any of that then. It's only later, when the door to your home is locked. Only then do you really start to learn what power and control looks and feels like. That's when you learn that I'll always look after you, I'll never let you go, and your mind for life can sound menacing and are used as a warning over and over and over again. It's when the ring is on your finger that the mask can start to slip and the promises sound increasingly like threats. It's then that you can spend all day after 12 or more hours at work longing to see the person you love only to find that on the walk or tube journey home they refuse to speak a single solitary word to you. Eventually, at home, they'll find a way to let you know which particular sin you have apparently committed. Your dress was too short, The top you wore in the chamber was too low cut, or you didn't respond to a message immediately. It starts slowly, 
a few emotional knocks, alternated with the romantic gushes and promises of everlasting love. So you are left reeling, confused, spinning around in an ever-changing but always hyper-alert state, not knowing what mood or message awaits you. You tell yourself to be less sensitive, less emotional, to stop overanalyzing every little thing. Ignore the moods. He never stops saying he adores you, right? All seems good again. A whole week goes by. A week of summer evening walks home and maybe a drink on the way. A long weekend booked and organized as a surprise while you're at work. The journey there is full of promise and promises. Time away alone together in a place away from stress. But then it starts. In a strange city, his face changes in a way that you are starting to know and dread. In a way that tells you you need to stay calm, silent and very careful. He goes for a walk. You sit in your hotel room and wait. You read a city guide and plan which sites you want to visit, mentally packing a day full of fun. But he seems to have another agenda. He doesn't want you to leave the room. He's paid a lot of money and you need to pay him your full attention. You're expected to do as you are told. You know for certain what that means, so you do exactly as you are told. And in the months that follow, those patterns continue. Reward, punishment, promises of happily ever after, alternated with abject rage, menace, silent treatment and coercive control. Financial abuse and control, a point-blank refusal to disclose his salary or earnings, an assumption and insistence on it being okay to live in your home without contributing a single penny as bills continue to pile up. A refusal to work as your salary is great and public knowledge. The false promises to start paying some specific bills, which you discover months later remain unpaid. And the slow but sure disappearance of any kindness, respect or loving behaviour. You get to the stage where you're afraid to go home. After 15 hours at work, you spend another hour on the phone to your mum or a close friend, trembling, a shadow of your usual self. You answer the phone, and the sheer nastiness and rage tells you not to go home at all. So you leave work with your best friend, exhausted and shaking, and by a toothbrush on the way, knowing the verbal abuse followed by silent refusal to speak at all will be a hundred times worse tomorrow. Every day is emotionally exhausting, Working in a job that you love, but putting on a brave face and pretending all is good, fine, wonderful in fact. Then the pretense and the public face start to drop completely. Being yelled at in the car with the windows down. No attempt to hide behaviour during constituency engagements. Humiliation and embarrassment now added to permanent trepidation and constant hurt and pain. Impossible to comprehend that this is the person who tells his family how much he loves you and longs to make you his wife. But the mask has slipped for good and questions are starting. Excuses are given to worried friends, concerned family, colleagues who've started to notice. So one night, after more crying and being constantly verbally abused because you suggest that he help pay a bit towards your new sofa, you realise you've reached the end and you simply cannot endure this for another day or week and certainly not for the rest of your life. Having listened intently for two whole weeks to the sound of his morning shower, 
Timing the routine until you know it off by heart, you summon up the courage to take his front door keys from his bag. You've tried everything else on earth and know for certain 100% what awaits you that night if you don't act today. Heart banging, you hide them carefully and creep back into bed, praying he won't discover what you've done. You know for certain what will happen if he does. You know an apology will not follow. You know for sure it'll be because of what you've done and that it is all your fault. He leaves for the gym, telling you how much he adores you. He tells you to remember that you will always be his. He kisses you lovingly as though there has never been months of verbal abuse, threats and incidents he knows you will never disclose. He tells you he'll bring something nice home for dinner. And sure enough, the next few days and weeks are a total hell. Texts and calls yelling that you've locked me out like a dog. Nobody treats me that way. This is the last thing you will ever do. You cry, you grieve for your destroyed dreams, you try to heal, you ignore the emails from wedding companies, but it's like withdrawal, and it takes six months. But one day, you notice that you're smiling, that it's okay to laugh, and it's a week or two since the daily sobbing stopped. You realise you're allowed to be happy. You dare to relax, and you dare to start to feel free. You realise it's not your fault. You realise he is now left alone with his rage and narcissism. You dare to start dating someone. And you realise that you've survived. But the brightest and most precious thing of all is to realise that you are loved and believed by friends, family and colleagues who believe in you and support you. So if anyone's watching and needs a friend, please reach out if it's safe to do so. And please talk to any of us, because we'll be there and we'll hold your hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank the Honourable Lady for that speech, which was simultaneously as horrifying and moving a contribution in the chamber as I've heard in 22 years membership of the House. Thank you. Kent Online reports. Elsewhere today, a Broadstairs man who's gone on trial accused of murder has admitted killing his six-week-old son. Mackenzie Ellis died at a hospital in London in July last year, three days after police were called to his home where he was found in a critical condition. 21-year-old Lee Vernon, who doesn't have a permanent address, admitted manslaughter but denies murder and two charges of causing GBH with intent. Roads bosses have admitted allowing lorries onto the new junction 10A on the M20 at the end of the month will push back its final completion date. Highways England had come under pressure to partially open the £104 million project in time for the Brexit deadline so HGVs could access a customs checkpoint in Ashford. They say they do plan to do that but it would delay work because it would be difficult to reach the remaining site across live traffic. A Gillingham man who robbed two men at knife point has been jailed for more than 10 years. Brian Williams followed one of the victims home in Folkestone in April before threatening to stab him and stealing his wallet. The 32-year-old from Duncan Road also targeted someone else in Gillingham in July. There are calls for more support for families in Kent who lose a baby during pregnancy. Stats show one in four pregnancies in the county ends in loss. Kelly Wells from Medway set up the charity Making Miracles 
after her daughter was born with a rare heart condition. She's been chatting to Louisa on KMTV. So this month is Baby Loss Awareness Month and we are starting a campaign which we haven't done before. Um, we've been going about five years but we don't often come straight out to the public to ask for this kind of support. So what we want to do is provide 31 families throughout the 31 days of October um, with um, professional and specialist trauma and bereavement support for if they lose a baby. And do you think there is enough support for um, parents, families who do go through that traumatic experience of losing a child? I think there could be more. I think there's obviously it's got a lot better in the five years that we've been going because there wasn't anything before specifically for this. Um, I think it's also really good for us here in Kent and Medway to have this kind of support in the fact that we've got the charity because many people throughout the country who don't have charities like us providing it are actually going without that support and it's more or less like a postcode lottery whether you get that kind of support or not. And you mentioned you'd be going for five years. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you came to set up the charity. Um, well, six years ago I was diagnosed as having a high-risk pregnancy with my daughter Summer and she had a 15% chance of living. I got told at my 20-week scan. And it was a really stressful, obviously, time for me, not knowing whether she was going to live or survive. Um, sorry, live or pass away. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't really have anywhere to turn to. I looked for other charities online and other people that obviously could support me, and there wasn't really anyone there. So she did survive. I'm very lucky, but I'm also very aware of what could have been and that there wasn't really anywhere for those people to go, and so the charity began there. And how have you seen the response be across Kent, across Medway, since you set up this charity? Oh, it's been great. We've had really positive feedback from all of our service users, from all the hospitals that are getting involved with us. We've um, going throughout Kent now. We're working with most of the hospitals that are referring to us, alongside other national charities that are also signposting to us, because we don't just support the uh, parents. We also support um, siblings and grandparents as well. So we are the only charity really in the UK that deals with whole family support for someone when they are bereaved of a baby. And do you think that there's often sort of a reluctance to talk about this issue openly? Is that a problem that you can encounter? Yes, it is. It's still a little bit taboo. Don't get me wrong, it's getting easier, but it's still not something that people want to talk about. You know, it's not the natural, um, not the natural thing when you're thinking about being excited and mm. having a new pregnancy in the family. But, you know, one in four pregnancies, as you say, end in loss. And it's important that services like ours are out there to support those families through it. Kent Online News. The family of a teenage boy who was found dead in a field near Ashford are campaigning to raise awareness of substance misuse. 15-year-old Owen Kinghorn was discovered on land in Great Chart last month. His mum set up a Just Giving page for the Kenwood Trust's Think Differently project, which aims to stop young people from taking drugs. Owen's funeral takes place tomorrow. It's claimed damage to a home in Medway could have been prevented if a nearby fire station was in operation on the night it went up in flames. The blaze is thought to have been started deliberately in a van on the Isle of Grain last month before spreading to a home, forcing the family into temporary accommodation. The landlord says it wouldn't have happened if crews hadn't had to come all the way from Strood. Kent Fire and Rescue say they're looking for more on-call firefighters. You can see dramatic footage of the blaze at kentonline.co.uk Parents were told to collect their children from a school in Sittingbourne earlier following a power cut. The outage this morning affected almost 500 homes and businesses and was caused by a fault in an overhead cable. Meadowfield Primary had to shut for the day. A beach hut on the Isle of Sheppey has gone on the market for £32,000. It makes it one of the most 
expensive in Kent, but it has no running water or electricity and no one's allowed to sleep in it overnight. Kent Online Showbiz. Slumdog millionaire actor Dev Patel's been in London for the premiere of the new David Copperfield film. It's been called a colourblind adaptation of Charles Dickens' novel because writer Armando Iannucci didn't want to be bound by the conventions of a costume or period drama. He told us why he wanted to make the movie. For a personal point of view, I always, I, the last film I did was Death of Stalin, which was very, you know, brutal. And you always like to do something a little bit different from the last, so there's nothing is too much to say. So that made me think about something else. But then I think subconsciously I sort of felt the discussion about what Britain is at the moment feels very negative, very kind of toxic. We're, we're not this, we don't want that, we're isolationist. And I wanted something that was about, that was celebrating what Britain is, I think, you know, to a lot of people, which is the kind of life and creativity and you know the the, the, the fashion and, and the music and the just the kind of people and that sense of community as well which I think is is being challenged a lot by just what's happening at the moment. The original story has references to Chatham, Canterbury and Dover, although none of the film was shot in the county. It also stars Tilda Swinton, Hugh Laurie, Ben Whishaw and Peter Capaldi. It's not in cinemas until January. Kent Online Sport. Kent's Dina Asher-Smith has made history by becoming the first British woman to claim a global sprint title. She stormed to victory in the 200 metres at the World Athletics Championships last night, setting a new national record. The 23-year-old went into the race as favourite after getting silver in the 100 and spoke to reporters afterwards about what it means to get a gold medal. It means so much and you're right, I have been focused mainly because I knew what kind of shape I was in. I knew that um, I'd worked really hard for this championship and I was coming into it pretty strong so I wasn't going to allow myself to get distracted by anything. <laughs> and um, just for it to all have paid off and just for to be a world champion, it means so much. It's something that I didn't, I, when I started in track and field, I didn't think I was ever going to be able to be world champion. I just always aim to improve every year. So it means a lot, yeah. <laughs> I just deleted Twitter and Instagram for the duration of the championships and I muted WhatsApp, so apart from like my coach and obviously that important ones, but so it's been alright for me actually, because um, um, I just completely tuned out from the world while I've been here, so I've been in my own little bubble, I don't know what is happening at home, I don't know what my friends are saying, they're probably very happy right now, oh no, I know my friends were laughing at me about the plot cam saying, oh, not flattering shots, Dina. <laughs> I know they said that. But um, yeah, I just chew myself out and allow myself to focus. Because as I said, if you get swept up in those things, that's when you start to get distracted. So I always wait until the, maybe the cameras focus on you after the race. Because when I'm running, you're just um, focusing on executing your race. And I know it sounds very boring, but if you don't run the race, you need to run you don't win so I was very bought very scope for my phases making sure that I ran my own race did everything that I was meant to do at the times on the track and when I crossed the line I saw the time I was like good but then when the camera focused on me I was like oh my god <laughs> I did it it means a lot especially after five days and six races um, it means a lot I mean I was quite tired coming into this as you can imagine having done a sub 11 in like yeah three sub 11s in two days and then 22-3 22-1 and now 21-88 um, I was quite tired, but um, ultimately I wanted to win today and I wasn't going to let anything <laughs> in front of me. Dina will be hoping for a third medal in the 4x100m relay this weekend. That's it for now, but don't forget you can go to kentonline.co.uk for more news throughout the day. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.